Welcome to the VO2 Lounge podcast, the podcast dedicated to understanding the science of athletic performance. In this episode, we will be learning about how you can lose fat and build muscle at the same time in what is known as body recomposition. Or to make it easier, I'll probably refer to it as body recomp to save on a few syllables. In almost all sports, improving your power to weight ratio is a good thing. There are sports such as cycling and running where it is perhaps more important. However, this fact still extends to sports such as football, MMA in particular where you are held to a weight class and other combat sports, and even in rugby where the ball is spending more and more time in play, making it important for players to carry as little unessential mass as possible. This episode is essentially going to summarise why I think it's often the case that you don't need to bulk and can simply perform a body recomposition for both athletic performance goals and more aesthetic performance goals. I think there's even an argument for non-elite endurance athletes to perform a body recomp rather than direct weight loss depending on your current uh, body composition uh, to gain a overall a healthier body and likely if you're not a 60 kilo uh, climber that having a bit more muscle mass especially in the upper body around the traps and the shoulders well, it may even make it so you are more comfortable on the bike rather than atrophying away into a skeleton on wheels so why why not bulk Often people going on a bulk with the aim of then cutting after, but you are giving yourself more work to do in the long run. Let's take uh, this study as a starting point titled The Effect of Nutritional Intervention on Body Composition and Performance in Elite Athletes. The study aimed to assess the impact of nutritional guidance during an 8-12 to 12 week weight gain phase in elite athletes. 39 elite athletes were divided randomly into two groups, the Nutritional Concealing Group, or NCG, and the Ad Libitum Group. Essentially, one group was advised heavily on how they were eating and so on and so forth, and the other was just eat as much as you want. Now, the group that was advised was 21 athletes with an average age of 19.1 years and an average weight of 70.9 kilograms. While the ad lib group comprised of 18 athletes with an average age of 19.6 years and an average weight of 95 kilograms, throughout the intervention all athletes maintained their sport-specific training regime including four additional strength training sessions per week. So they weren't necessarily all from the same sport but they continued their normal sport regime whilst including this additional strength training which is going to be a crucial part of body recomposition now in the group that was uh, effectively we'll call them nutritionally advised athletes followed a structured meal plan designed to achieve a positive energy balance while those in the ad lib group were allowed to consume food ab libitum without specific restrictions so effectively you can just eat what you want now various parameters including body weight body composition one rep max, uh, 40 meter sprint time and counter movement jump height were assessed before and after intervention period. These really look a bit like uh, NFL combine figures really. All they need is uh, maximum reps of uh, 120 pounds or whatever it is, 225 pounds, sorry, 100 kilos. Um, the findings indicate that athletes in 
the uh, following the nutrition plan consumed a significantly higher amount of energy compared to those in the ad libitum group uh, so 3585 calories versus 2964 calories on average consequently the group advice on their nutrition exhibited a greater increase in body weight 39 uh, sorry 3.9 kilograms versus 1.5 compared to the ad lib group while both groups experienced improvements in one rep max results there were no significant changes in 40 meter sprint time um, maximal jump height except for notable decrease in 40 minutes of sprint time among elites in the nutritionally advised group moreover the increase in fat mass was more pronounced in this group that was prescribed this nutritional plan compared to the ad lib group although the gain in lean body mass did not differ significantly between the two groups now the percentage change was a 15% increase versus a 3% uh, increase um, between the two groups. Now obviously when you first read it the way I looked at it I went ad lib meaning these people are going to just eat a large amount of food but as you can see essentially these people who were self-correcting were eating considerably less about 500 calories less than the group who were prescribed a over consumption or a bulking-esque diet. Now, overall, the study suggests that athletes receiving nutritional guidance during weight gain protocol experience greater increases in body weight, but excessive energy intake should be carefully monitored to prevent undesirable gains in body fat. Now, if you take a look at the study yourself and take a look at figure one and then figure two together, they show really well how the higher than necessary caloric surplus just results in greater accumulation of non-useful mass, i.e. fat. Now, this, personally, I can understand in certain scenarios where someone may still choose this route. For example, if you're someone, rugby, for example, has a very, a somewhat of a weight problem in the lower ranks where players can receive feedback from like scouting opportunities of just being you're not big enough, for example, at which point the only way you can within say you're an under uh, 18 and you're in the under well sorry you're an under 20 which you usually compete in for say two years you've already done your first year and you're told you're too light so then you need to put on it could be 10 kilos in a year realistically are you going to do that in season through rigorous resistance training and rigorous dietary intervention and still not achieve necessarily that amount of mass. So yes, you can end up resorting to fat to ensure you put overall the amount of mass required whilst also gaining the strength that comes with the lean mass that is induced. However, if you are someone who's doing this for aesthetics reasons only, i.e. bodybuilding or just general health, then there appears to be from this study in particular no benefit to rushing the bulk process you can still increase mass at a drastically lower caloric surplus or something around maintenance where you're going to induce a body recomposition lose fat build muscle as we will continue on with this episode so now we've obviously realized that 
bulky in itself, yes, does work. Of course it does work. Eating a caloric surplus works, but may not be optimal. How does body recomp work? Most people I encounter will have the opinion or belief that you can only operate in one of three states. You either maintain weight and don't build any muscle or gain weight and build muscle whilst also uh, increasing your fat mass or you simply cut and lose predominantly hopefully fat depending on your intervention you're using but also lose lean muscle mass at the same time. The reality is that for most people we can lose weight albeit at a reduced rate depending on the level of adiposity and more importantly fat while gaining muscle mass. Let's look at a study titled Moderate and higher protein intake promotes superior body recomposition in older women performing resistance training. Now, before you say this doesn't apply to you because you're not an older woman, these women on average were 68.7 years old. So not exactly anabolic monsters. So if they can do this, then you certainly can. Now, you may be older, you may be older than this and female, but unlikely, I think, the demographic of the people listening to this are not. So for the most part, What is said in this paper applies to you most certainly. The main finding of this study was that a moderate to higher protein intake resulted in improved body recomposition in older women compared to a lower protein intake group. This conclusion aligns with the initial hypothesis suggesting that higher daily protein intake would optimize body recomposition uh, in the demographic. To evaluate the body recomposition, the study utilized a composite Z-score combining changes in fat mass and skeletal mass instead of assessing each component separately. This is quite common. A few of the studies I was looking through in making this episode all referred to this Z-score. The analysis revealed that participants with a lower daily protein intake experienced smaller composite Z-score changes indicating reduced benefits in body composition from resistance training. This observation is consistent with previous studies that demonstrated varying body composition changes based on protein intake combined with resistance training programs. Now, the physiological mechanisms underlying body recomposition are complex and not fully understood as suggested by the paper, While achieving a chronic negative energy balance is typically associated with reduced body fat levels, body recomposition can occur under uh, hypocaloric, hypo, so low calorie conditions, indicating that energy balance alone does not fully explain the phenomenon. Now, hypertrophy, which contributes to changes in lean mass, requires additional energy, which can be derived from both endogenous and exogenous sources, essentially meaning that, obviously, because we are not perpetually, you know, just gaining mass from thin air, we need calories from a source to sustain slash increase lean muscle mass. Now, this can come from food you eat or this can come from stored calories in the form of fat on your body to aid this um, hypertrophic effect if the stimulus is adequate. 
Now, the study found that the effect of protein intake on body recomposition was primarily mediated by changes in lean mass. Previous research on the topic has produced conflicting results, with some studies showing that positive increases in free fat mass with higher protein intake in older adults, while others found no additional benefit. Now, methodologically, differences such as varying protein intake levels and participant characteristics may contribute to these uh, discrepancies. Additionally, the difference in protein intake between moderate um, protein and high protein groups in the study may have been insufficient to produce significant differences um, in muscular adaptions, suggesting that higher protein doses might be necessary to maximize muscle protein synthesis um, in older adults. Now, Contrary to expectations, no significant differences in fat mass changes were observed among groups with varying protein intake levels. The optimal dietary macronutrient composition for achieving superior fat loss remains controversial. I mean, anyone who's spent any kind of time online knows this, that every guru has their own method to uh, improving fat loss now mixed results come across various studies but the resistance training program itself induced a reduction in body fat likely due to the exercise sessions energy cost and increased basal metabolic rate observed in older adults undergoing resistance training now that is one thing to consider is that meta let's look at just from a holistic viewpoint of just imagining metabolic rate simply as your how many calories you need to be maintaining weight muscle mass versus fat mass muscle mass requires is calorically hungry hence why if you don't have a stimulus there's no reason for your body to prioritize muscle mass adding muscle if you just sit at home it's gonna it's going to even even the most basic muscular function will disappear with things like bed rest as that I've mentioned in other episodes. So muscle mass is metabolically demanding. It needs more energy to allow it to exist. So in the process of doing this body recomp, you are going to increase the muscle mass and therefore there can be a swing in the amount of calories you actually need to maintain that can then aid the weight loss process further down the line. So let's look at how do we actually need to train to uh, result in this body recomposition. It's needless to say that resistance training is crucial if you want to stimulate muscle growth as I've already said while losing uh, weight and fat mass but what about cardio work for lack of a better frame the review paper titled effect of exercise training on weight loss body composition changes and weight maintenance in adults with overweight or obesity um, is a good point of reference for this the overview of reviews offers a comprehensive analysis of the effects of exercise on weight loss body composition uh, body composition changes and weight maintenance in adults with overweight or obesity based on um, a synthesis of multiple systematic reviews and meta-analysis it's just basically a big umbrella review it's published in 2010 so a bit outdated now but it generally highlights 
mostly what is still today considered factually correct. Um, so exercise training programs consistently resulted in greater weight loss compared to non-exercise control groups with an average loss of one and a half to three and a half kilos. Adding exercise to a dietary intervention led to an additional weight loss of about one kilo compared to the dietary intervention alone. Now aerobic training was found to be more effective than resistance training in promoting weight and fat loss with approximately one kilo greater loss um, in each outcome. Now both moderate intensity continuous training and high intensity interval training, so HIIT training, everything what used to be the big craze, I feel like now zone two is the big craze, but yield similar weight and fat loss when energy expenditure was equalized. However, concerns were raised about the feasibility of sustaining HIIT, particularly in patients with obesity who may exercise lower pre- um, lower pleasure and enjoyment during HIIT sessions. I think this is the one of the good things to come out of things like the peer tier drive in the human lab with all this zone two work it's sort of although zone two itself is now the poster child and people get lost in the minutiae of what's going on but the fact that both are now put forward in the sense that hit itself when i do interval stuff for cycling i never really think of it as hit hit to me is almost like this buzzword associated with the gym where you're throwing like medicine balls around and doing all these different movements when in reality it is just intervals but that is what I get from it whereas now people seem to be more understanding of the fact that you know both are equally as important to some extent but one has to be done in great proportion because of the toll on the body and so on and so forth but at least from these studies you can just see that Although, depending who you listen to, you will hear that exercising isn't going to result in losing weight for a whole load of reasons. I think just the healthy shift towards being metabolically healthier is going to then result in an easier transition towards losing weight. Plus, the depending on the amount you're exercising, no, it doesn't mean you burn 500 calories, so go eat that 500 calories but if you exercise five to eight hundred calories a day of additional exercise on top of whatever normal things you're doing about your day then if you have a single serve 200 calorie chocolate bar at the end of the day it's probably going to be pretty nominal compared to if you were someone who didn't do any of that exercise and therefore, and still ate those extra bits and pieces. It can help just dampen some of those little things you might nibble on here and there. Now, regarding visceral adiposity, so visceral fat, so fat around the organs, exercise, particularly aerobic training and high-intensity interval training, effectively reduce visceral adiposity, adipose tissue, an important marker of cardiometabolic risk. Importantly, reducing in visceral adiposity was observed even in the absence of substantial weight loss, suggesting potential health benefits independent of overall weight reduction. And that is kind of what I was getting onto earlier. And that is what you will hear on really the Drive podcast. That is where you'll hear it a lot in the fact that, yes, weight loss may not happen, but you're just going to be healthier doing this exercise 
and it allows the better management of glucose and so on and so forth and then the fat around the liver can be greatly reduced and it just makes you a healthier human being. Now, exercise, especially resistance training, appear to help preserve lean body mass during weight loss interventions. Resistance training was superior to other modalities in stimulating muscle protein synthesis and maintaining muscle mass. Now, that is something that is also crucial to understand is that the two are both important, protein and resistance training, but you can be low on protein overall. You're not hitting your one and a half grams per kilo or whatever. Maybe you're hitting one gram per kilo. Um, and doing resistance training, doing a lot of time in the gym versus not really going to the gym maybe once every three weeks and eating loads of protein. Obviously, the person who goes to the gym more often is going to see more um, improvements because muscle... Protein is almost like the, it is a signal for muscle protein synthesis, but it needs to be told what needs to grow, really. So you need to still do, they come together. More resistance training equals more growth, fueled by more protein, more signaling, and it all comes together. But don't forget to work out. Now, Evidence regarding the effectiveness of exercise in preventing weight regain was limited and somewhat conflicting. While retrospective analysis suggests that a dose-response relationship between exercise volume and weight maintenance, well-designed randomized controlled trials failed to consistently demonstrate a significant effect of exercise on long-term weight maintenance. Um, poor adherence to exercise protocols was identified as a significant challenge in evaluating the impact of exercise on weight maintenance on the in the long run. Now, limitations of the overview include a lack of assessment of exercise duration, weekly volume, limited evidence on safety and efficacy of HIIT, particularly to do with, I think, the obese people in the fact that they could be vulnerable to um, a cardiac event, really given the stress already on the body and then you're putting even more on it now particularly because uh, yeah simply that's all that's going on so if you are obese then just sticking to zone two is already so beneficial that maybe the hit work can wait until stresses on the body are reduced so my question at this point to myself was what about in highly trained individuals what about people who have already either leaner or already have a large amount of muscle mass on them, how valid a method is body recomposition to these people? So we can look at a study um, titled Body Recomposition Can Trained Individuals Build Muscle and Lose Fat at the Same Time? Now, contrary to prevailing notions, studies have demonstrated notable gains in fat-free mass and concurrent reductions in um fat mass even under conditions of caloric surplus uh, likewise significant body recomposition have been evident in hypercaloric settings challenging the notion of energy balance as the sole determinant of body composition alterations now recent research um, calls into question the imperative of hypercaloric intake to achieve maximal skeletal muscle um, alongside uh, resistance training yet the underlying mechanisms driving these body recomposition phenomena remain 
uh, incompletely understood, highlighting the complexity of the uh, interplay between energy supply and expenditure and how it's not always that easy to keep tabs on and that there's just a lot going on in this kind of setting. Now, investigations into resistance training induced body recomposition. Studies have shown that augmenting caloric intake, primarily through high-protein diets, can result in significant improvements in body composition among well-trained individuals engaging in resistance training. Now, similarly, research on another study underscores the, uh, the efficacy of graded whey protein supplementation in facilitating notable reductions in fat mass um, concurrent with increases in fat-free mass. So essentially, resistance training plus whey protein, specifically in this instance, a like a reputable option results in greater increases in fat-free mass whilst reductions in uh, fat mass are observed. Now, findings uh, from Campbell et al. and Roosh et al. provided compelling evidence for the transformative potential of targeted nutritional interventions in promoting body recomposition, notably studies across diverse populations, ranging from aspiring physique athletes uh, to collegiate volleyball players, underscore the efficacy of moderate to high dietary protein intakes uh, whilst performing resistance training for achieving favorable alterations in body composition. Now, the nuance interplay between initial body fat levels, training status, resistance training protocols, and nutritional regimes in shaping body composition outcomes uh, necessitates further um, work, essentially, while higher levels of body fat may facilitate greater body recomposition due to the availability of endogenous energy reserves. The optimal integration of these factors remains an area of uh, exploration. Uh, con uh, consequently, ongoing research in, like, aims to refine evidence-based strategies for maximizing body composition um, adaptions across varied, like, varied populations and uh, contexts, really. Now, we know body recomp is a thing and suitable for most people. Um, are there any additional bits of advice you can use to aid the process? Well, there's supplements and there's also sleep. Now, starting with supplements, everyone loves a good supplement. Um, there really are three key supplements that you can utilize in this order. I'd say protein powder, creatine and caffeine, which will aid body recomp the most. Now, Protein powder is fairly self-explanatory, but it's going to help you achieve a high amount of protein intake usually needed when losing weight or going through a body recomposition. The protein timing aspect of it, like having it directly after a workout and in this on anabolic window, really now we can look at research and it's not an issue. It's more that it is so convenient you can have it directly after a workout to aid you in heat hitting your uh, overall protein goals as for an amount essentially the leaner you are the closer you're going to need to be to the two grams per kilogram um, slash the more lean mass you have and then the more fat and less muscle you have the closer you can move down to that 1.5 1.25 grams per kilogram for optimal results 
the easy way to do it is err on the side of more. Now, if you're hitting two grams per kilogram, no, you don't need to aim for two and a half, three grams per kilogram necessarily. But if you're at the 1.25 and you've got a high level of adiposity, but you think you could quite easily hit the 1.5, just hit the 1.5. It just makes life easier, doesn't it? Doesn't need anything to chance. Now, caffeine, it's a little less. It's not directly helping the, um, the body recomposition itself, like in the same way protein is. But caffeine supplementation is known to improve endurance capacity during time to fatigue exercise tasks. For instance, during activities such as running or treadmill until exhaustion and resistance training exercise repetitions to failure, studies have found that caffeine supplementation can achieve an average performance benefit of 3.5% roughly when uh, provided before and or during endurance-based time trial activities of varying durations, anything from 5 minutes to 150 minutes across numerous exercise modalities, i.e. cycling, running, rowing, cross-country skiing, swimming even. Now, studies reporting benefits typically use caffeine dosages of 3 to 6 milligrams per kilogram of body mass in the form of a pill or powder uh, form rather than a coffee for obvious control reasons. Um, and then this is usually consumed 60 minutes prior to exercise. I think it's important to note that Trying to take a large and accurate dose of caffeine calls for something you can control. And the amount of caffeine in your morning coffee isn't exactly the most controlled method. That specific really, this is direct extract from one I had on how performance enhancing caffeine is. For that three to, hopefully you haven't written it down, <laughs> three to six milligrams per kilogram. In the case of your gym activity, using a tablet, I even prefer tablets over pre-workout because it is definitively plus or minus X, but you can control that one tablet's 100 milligrams or 50 milligrams or one chewing gum's 50 milligrams. Um, it may be easier than brewing up your coffee in the morning and then you can have another one when you come back from the gym, say, for example, or when you get to work. But in that instance, the coffee is perfectly fine. Now, for shorter efforts in the five-minute range, reported benefits are around the 6.5%. So really for lifting weights, it's going to be really beneficial. Um, but that was at dosages of 5 to 6 milligrams per kilogram, with considerable benefits also being seen in maximal lift activities such as powerlifting. For the most part, though, the aim here is just it's a stimulus in the morning, in the afternoon, whenever you're doing your workout. Obviously, if you're doing a workout past like 2 p.m., then probably stay clear of caffeine for its effect on sleep, which we'll get onto. But especially if you're a morning uh, person doing a workout, then caffeine is going to keep the quality of the workout high and as a result, further improve uh, body recomposition. It's not necessarily that by having caffeine, you lose more weight. It's more by having caffeine, you're able to stimulate the muscle more and improve the muscle gain side of this equation now as for creatine the gym bro supplement of choice um, but one less common for things like endurance sports so if you're an endurance athlete maybe stick to this in your off season because of the weight gain that can come with it um, for me anecdotally it's like one to two kilos as a like 85 kilo human being um, 
So it's not favorable. But if you're doing this purely for a body recomp, then essentially it's lean mass because it's just water. Now, when taking uh, according to established loading and or maintenance protocols, creatine supplementation can increase intermuscular creatine stores, uh, sorry, creatinine stores by 30% roughly with a magnitude of response being um, inversely related to the starting concentration. So lower starting concentration means greater magnitude of response from the individual. So this is how it works. Within the muscle, creatine uh, kinase mediates uh, phosphorylation of creatine to phosphocreatine, adphosphate as the name would imply, um, which is a key substrate for high intensity muscle force generation, whereas phosphocreatine levels decrease during high intensity exercise to rapidly resynthesize adenosine triphosphate, ATP. For adenosine diphosphate, ADP, elevated creatine stores uh, allow a greater rate of phosphocreatine resynthesis, enhancing short-term high-intensity exercise, particularly by enhancing the capacity to perform repeated bouts of effort. So a key molecule supplement for people going to the gym to allow them to obtain greater volume during given sessions, and research supports this. Now, numerous reviews of creatine monohydrate supplementation identify performance benefits in single repetitions of 1% to 5% and repeated bouts of about 5 to 15% of high-intensity exercise for less than 150 seconds in duration, with the most pronounced effects being seen during tasks of less than 30 seconds. So you can see why this is just the supplement, really, to be taking when it comes to uh, body recomp. Not only is it increasing these sores that will result in some fluid retention, but it is essentially lean mass. It's just going to make, again, like caffeine, the quality of the workout vastly improved. As for the dosage, there are often two methods reported. A loading phase of 20 grams a day for five days or five to seven days, followed by a maintenance of five grams a day, or alternatively a five gram a day for the beginning but it may take up to three weeks to see the full benefits of the supplement as for side effects no serious adverse effects have been reported uh, of studies up to four years long and i think there are enough gym goers taking it for us to really feel fine about consuming it on a regular basis moving on from supplements there's also something else that people often neglect and that is sleep for this, we can look at a study titled Influence of Sleep Restriction on Weight Loss Outcomes Associated with Caloric Restriction. Now, the study represents one of the longest interventions examining the effects on moderately restricted sleep duration on weight loss outcomes within a hypocaloric diet context. Notably, despite the similar amounts of weight loss, the group undergoing combined caloric restriction and sleep restriction experienced a greater proportion of lean mass loss and a lesser proportion of fat mass loss compared to the group solely undergoing caloric restriction. So essentially you're doing the same work but you're shortchanging sleep and as a result you lose more lean mass and I think that's probably um, explained by some form of evolutionary trait where if you're having to shortchange sleep it must mean that it's hard times and hard times can be followed by a reduction in food availability and what is a better store 
of food really long term fat so lose the muscle mass which is more energetically demanding it requires more energy to maintain and if there's no other stimulus i.e resistance training telling the body to keep the muscle mass then it should prioritize the loss of that now analysis indicated a decrease in respiratory uh, quotient only in the carbohydrate restricted group suggesting a shift towards greater fat oxidation at rest while fasting serum leptin concentration decreased only in um, the caloric restriction with sleep restriction group which i'll just go on to say just sleep restriction keep it simpler potentially indicating an energy uh, deficiency state and increased risk of weight regain now, previous studies examining the effects of restriction in sleep during weight loss on body composition have been limited, but findings from uh, other studies uh, are consistent with a current with this study noted. Um, hormone changes, particularly in ghrelin and leptin, suggest an energy deficiency state in the uh, sleep restricted group, potentially increasing the risk of weight regain and post hoc. Uh, analysis revealed that african-american patients lost less total mass and fat mass than caucasian participants highlighting racial disparities in weight loss outcomes now this point here kind of brings us on to a uh, another point which is the human differences one person to person in general two racial differences there can be people from different ethnic groups that are more susceptible or result in different effects from this dietary intervention or exercise intervention but we've also got sex differences female to male differences in that uh, i tried to find some now it proved harder than i thought to find real evidence or a well put together kind of study that first of all was open access there may be some that are a little bit behind paywalls or whatever but i predominantly make these episodes based on open access information or websites that have chopped up different non-open access to discuss them and to get an insight into what was actually in that paper with also the abstract and so on that is available open access to get an idea of what the paper actually stated now the paper I did find that seemed to kind of not directly talk about body recomposition but one of the considerations and that sex differences and considerations for female specific nutritional strategies and narrative review now they've stated that the importance of sex specific nutritional strategies for females particularly those engaging in regular exercise is increasingly recognized now Physiological differences between sexes driven by various in-sex hormone concentrations um, highlights the need for tailored nutritional recommendations. Uh, Intra-individual differences in female throughout the menstrual cycle and life stages such as puberty, pregnancy, menopause further emphasize the complexity of nutritional needs of women as a whole compared to men. Men are fairly easy for the most part in the sense of that there's not this whole fluctuation in hormonal balances and so on and so forth throughout the month throughout their life um, 
During different phases of the menstrual cycle, hormonal fluctuations such as an increased estrogen and progesterone during the mid-luteal phase impact metabolism and nutrient utilization. Separate nutritional recommendations for females, particularly those engaging in regular exercise, become critical for this fact. While individualized caloric uh, macronutrient, micronutrient and supplement recommendations are necessary to meet specific goals, universal basic uh, requirements and starting points should be addressed within guidelines, for example. Um, Considering timing and dosing becomes essential, particularly with optimizing performance and facilitating recovery, despite the clear need for distinct nutritional guidelines tailored to females, comprehensive research assessing female-specific nutritional strategies for health, performance and body composition remain pretty scarce. Now, I've wondered it for a while and again now the specific podcast that it came up in, it may again be The Drive. Um, highlighting the fact that because already as a researcher you're trying to control so many things the fact that you then have women who themselves you cannot control this cycle yes you can if you get accurate data from them at the point at which they start and end or start a cycle really where the cycle starts in a calendar um, month then you can try align things, but when you're having to think about nutritional timing for each individual member of the study based on where they are within their cycle, it can throw off results. It can make it far more challenging. That said, doing a smaller trial specifically about this cycle is really important work. And maybe now there are bits of information on that, but they didn't seem to be open access and it wasn't easy to find this in the first place. So essentially, it's going to be more complex for women. The same guidelines apply, resistance training, protein consumption, but there are going to be some nuances that maybe you just have to learn along the way like everyone does in general with their nutrition, but even more so for women, the variation throughout Um, their cycle and maybe keeping a notepad on various foods and various signs that you get during your cycle as to what is best for you. So this brings us to the end of the episode. Hopefully it's helped provide a clear picture that body recomposition is definitely a thing and it's probably the right thing for you and most other people. The, The key pillars being you need to perform resistance training You don't necessarily need to be in a caloric surplus. You can even be in a caloric deficit, depending on your level of adiposity. Um, Eating protein is going to be crucial to help maintain and build lean muscle mass. But obviously, a rigorous uh, resistance training regime is going to be more important. So setting that up is going to be the first point of call. Endurance work, specifically cardio for those more gym-centric people, is going to result in an improved reduction in uh, overall body weight and uh, fat, and especially visceral fat. You're going to see much better uh, cardiometabolic risk profile if you do some form of cardiovascular work, specifically like some endurance work, some 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes of zone 2, Maybe it's only once a week 
and then some high intensity interval stuff as well depending on where you lie currently in that fitness and health spectrum so really body recomposition as a principle is quite simple eat a sort of maintenance slash caloric restrictive diet eat a lot of protein go to the gym do a little bit of cardio and it should work it's just going to be a slower process than you know doing your big not even dirty but just your big five six seven hundred kilo calorie surplus than this maintenance process for more content like this explore my previous episodes and consider following rating and sharing the podcast share your thoughts or suggest future topics at the vo2lounge at gmail.com or the vo2lounge discord server links all down below thank you for tuning in and until next time it's goodbye